the pandemic, books were not socially distant from us. It was one of the comforts for a lot of people. There were books to read and books to follow and books to look forward to. But one of the strange things about reading, although it's done silently and it's done alone most of the time, that you want to share books, that if you like a book, you want someone else to read it, that you love the idea of a book that is, in a way, being, being part of the community or part of a community of readers. With that in mind, the art of reading is a way of bringing readers together, is a way of choosing books that I think people might like because they have given me a lot of pleasure and having a discussion about these books and bringing people together so that we all know that it's not just that reading is a form of pleasure, which it also is, but it's an art. It, it's actually a way for us to engage intellectually and imaginatively with words, with sentences, with what writers have done. And um, so for that reason, um, I want to share these books that have mattered so much to me. Claire, um, I'm in New York. Um, this morning, it's snowing here, so you have to sort of try and get out and go for a walk. So this morning, a friend of mine, same age as I am, just a guy in his 60s. We're crusty, we're old, and we, I mentioned that I was doing this event, and he said, oh my God, that book! And he's not Irish, and uh, he had read your book and was overwhelmed by it, as I was. And we both agreed that it's a book you would give to your son, to your nephew, to anyone, any guy who's thinking of reaching the age of reason. You say, <laughs> is there one book you could recommend for me? I said, yeah, there absolutely is, is this book. So that's just gendering the whole question. Really. This is a book I think that maybe women would enjoy, but I think men would not only benefit from, but need badly. And I want to start with a technical question, which is, it's very hard, I think anyone, writing knows to, to address a book to a direct person to say in the in the narrative this book is for you and mention the you regularly if you get it wrong it, it just it's just so jarring and then to try and call the other person the person you're addressing the book to sailor and i found this so touching i found you never got it wrong once every time you did it you introduced a sort of sense of tenderness a sense of almost introducing an element of the mythological this is someone setting out. This is someone voyaging out. And your job is to see if you could write anything that would let this young person know what it was like in the time before he can remember. And I wondered, I suppose the question then is, at what point did the word sailor, just that, that word come into your head? Oh, it, it's actually, it was always you, but it was actually addressed to Darling for a long time. Um, when you have a child, even from a baby, you end up talking to them all the time. You know they don't understand you. That doesn't matter. It's um, The talking is important. I even remember my cousin saying, that she uh, because you're always talking to your infant, that she forgot she didn't have her child with her. I was going, oh, isn't that a lovely apple in the supermarket? Before realizing I'm on my own here, shut up. So. It, it, Sailor, the name came quite late in the novel because the book was originally called Darling and another novel called Darling was published. So um, I had to uh, change that title and Sailor seemed like the right name for this child. Um, and I know Sailor came and I don't know when Soldier came. Um, I know this 
this novel didn't have a title for a long time, but but um, I actually can't tell you when Soldier came, but it it, it was more this um, motherhood is talking to someone who may or might may not understand you. They will someday understand you. So it it was always addressed to you. It's actually the the germ of the novel came from when I was in maternity hospital. I got a gift um, from my best friend who published her debut novel last year, uh, Eva Fitzpatrick, and she gave me this thing called a line a day diary. I can actually, where is it? It's this, I'm on to my third one now. It's a line a day and you literally just fill in. And you can see we've only done one year. You just write one line of what happened that day. And this thing ended up being addressed to my, my child. So it's written, you, today we did this, you did that, you, you know, usually nothing much happens, but I, I would write out something that you did with the notion that one day he will get these. And as I say, th this is a five-year diary and I'm on, this one's empty because uh, we're on, he's 11. So one to five, zero to five and five to 10 are complete and they're up there somewhere. So this, this dialogue, on top this written dialogue on top of the spoken experience of being a, a, a mother and child unit defined how the novel arose. It could not be other than addressed to an infant to whom you were close. Yes, I, I suppose what I really admired was that it was it was the word where you placed the word. But just, just to go back, um, Lucy Caldwell uh, invokes or mentions Sylvia Plath in her blurb for your book. Sebastian Barry uh, mentions Ivan Boland, uh, who were both poets. And I think the Plath, the Sylvia Plath is the Sylvia Plath of those early beautiful poems about having children, about Nick and the candlestick. You know, that, that they're, they're, they're not the darker later poems, but the poems about motherhood that Ivan Boland also loved. They're poems. So, so they're, they're snatching or catching a moment and um, they're describing, for example, Eva, Ivan Bola in Night Feed, or even in later poems where she's describing her daughters as they're growing up, that Ivan talked about this idea that this is new, There's, uh, that there's nothing to work from. You're mm -hmm. starting from scratch. And that was why she admired those flat poems about motherhood. I I'm sort of asking, because I'm not aware of another book like this. So I'm asking, as you were beginning to work, was there anything at all that you could find in literature or indeed in memoir or indeed in journalism that you could say someone else has done something that I might try myself? But my feeling was that that, is, that isn't what happened. No, no. And the very first thing I wrote was nonfiction. It was a short essay in Winter Papers for um, Kevin Barry and Olivia Smith in which... It was written in 2015. And the thing, I, I think a lot of novelists, lady novelists, a lot of lady novelists, when they have a baby, turn to nonfiction for the next one. And it's to do with the imagination and how it works, or in my case, didn't work. And after having um, my, my son, my, my imagination seemed to be hobbled. It wasn't, I wasn't imagining anymore. I wasn't, it was very hard to, I've written about how hard it, I found it to finish a sentence, but to actually try and imagine characters was beyond me. So 
um, I, in that essay, I wrote about my child was two and a quarter when I had an idea for a novel. And it was it wasn't I didn't use the idea, but the thing was, my imagination had started again. And of all people, I went back to Yates and I wrote about that in the in this essay. Don't you be Yates? Yates. And that, it's funny, that, that, back to Yates That well-known mother. That well-known. <laughs> and yeah. it, it was The Circus Animal's Desertion, which is about writers blocked and about having nothing. You've nothing left. They have deserted you. Who am I? You know, I'm nothing anymore. And now I must lay, lie down where all the ladders start in the foul rag and bone shop of my heart. And I lay down in the foul rag and bone shop of my heart. And all I had was this female voice talking to an infant, because that's really all I was. You know, that that's that's all my imagination could give to me. And he couldn't talk back yet because he, he had little kids can't speak yet. They could scream, but but they have no dialogue. So that 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 was the start of it. It was it was it could not but be that way for me. Yes. I, I didn't want to write it even. I wanted to go back to one of my old novels. You know, I wrote about art. I wrote about violins. I wrote about books. I wrote about the Celtic tiger and crash. I, I wanted to be that person, but that person was gone. And in the foul rag and bone shop of my heart was this person. And this is this is what I wrote, that person. So, I mean, the, 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 but just to go back to the question, was there any other book that you thought somebody had tried, somebody in fiction had tried this? I mean, in other words, what, what struck me about the book, which is one of the overwhelming things about the book really is, I haven't read this before. And, you know, with so many, with, with most books, you feel you've read the marriage plot, you've read you know, crime, you've read a murder story. But with this, I feel that this is territory that has not been explored and I, and perhaps you've offered an explanation for that, that that in the immediate aftermath or the decade after having a, a first child, there may be a resistance to writing about it, to writing fiction about it, or even to writing at all. Uh, the answer is no, I hadn't read a book and that that captured my experience anyway. And I largely experienced the world through novels and through the novel form, which I think was why I was so unprepared for for um, motherhood, because anything I had seen was was um, kids were funny. <laughs> Everything was OK. They, they were minor characters. They were not the main event. So, no, um, no, I hadn't seen anything that reflected my very intense experience of it. Um, it, it strikes me as interesting that some of the early great feminist writers whose books have a sort of biblical quality, such as Germaine Greer or Simone de Beauvoir, um, that they didn't actually write about motherhood, that they didn't have children, that they didn't write directly from their own experience as mothers. And I think that might be significant. Well, it's, it's a very strange... It's a, see, it's a, this novel is almost like a stoner novel because... The narrator doesn't, she forgets and messes everything up and it's, she's not quite together. And that is my experience of being a mother is you forget everything because your child changes slightly every day. So you're, it's very hard to depict something that's changing all the time. And I think, but for these little diaries, 
I would have forgotten an awful lot of those early days. And it's very hard to depict something that's erased itself. Anyone who has a child will tell you this. You sort of forget last week's version because it's the child overwrites itself over and over with every development and your relationship is changing and it's great, but you forget what was there before. And I think just the fact that I'd written these sentences every day, I had a record of who, what we were doing, what was going on, if, if like his first word, that sort of thing. So I, that enabled me to have a grasp on doing this. Whereas um, it's unusual to have any kind of written record. And I think that's possibly contributes to why there isn't that much, um, certainly in the novel form, there is nonfiction and interesting nonfiction and helpful nonfiction. But the novel, um, and then there are some great novels. The, the one I connected with most was Sarah Moss's Night Waking. And it's uh, a mother trying to keep it together, two kids. And it's the same thing of like, what will I feed them? And um, the younger child in this novel wakes her mother every night, every night at 4 a.m. to say, mummy, say a gruffalo. Mummy, say, mummy, sing. Mummy, sing a gruffalo. Mummy, sing a gruffalo. And it becomes this sort of torture. And it's a, the child's brilliant. The child's lovely. But to have this constant mummy sing a gruffalo is um, hellish on, on one level, despite the love, despite the... So I found that that's the novel I connected with most and saw my own experience reflected in. But there wasn't much of the young kids, the preschoolers. I think once kids start speaking, now you can turn them into a character. But when they can't speak... I suppose that one of the things that we do as novelists is we get something small and try and make it big. In other words, that some tiny detail in a novel can end up standing for a lot. I think this is quite useful for you here, where, for example, there's a moment where, you know, there's a whole business of the buggy, which can just fall over. Now, if it falls over, the things that are hanging on, such as the nappies, such as the groceries, are also going to fall. And what's also going to happen then is the wider world, the sort of arena, is going to judge you. Going to say, look yes. at that mother, she can't even do the following things. So that the, the level of problems from a single object, which is tiny, which can be folded into nothing, gets really becomes an enormous. It isn't that it's symbolic. It is what, what I was saying earlier, the element of it moving with the word sailor into some form of mythology that you're voyaging out and the, the, the tools you have are the buggy, the nappy, the feeding, whatever feeding thing is happening. And this is always going to fall over. Yeah. Chaos. I mean, chaos is going to result and judgmentalness. I mean, judgmentalness. People are going to judge you all the time. You're going to... No, sorry, when I say um, you, I'm sorry, I mean the character in the book. Sorry. You, it, the, there's such an element of slapstick to parenting. I, I know what you mean about the object, and I think that's particularly... We Irish writers, you know, Joyce, it was such a big thing in Dubliners that, was it the corkscrew got lost in one story and got found in another? And this idea of an object sort of pinning together a plot... Uh, and it, it can reappear and be different. So 
you know, yes, I love an object that repeats throughout a text. Um, I'm trying to think, but there is an object that does, and I can't think of it right now, but it, it's not the boogie. Um, the, I've tried to depict the humiliation of being the person with the slapstick boogie, but my actual, um, retrospectively, you're not being judged. That was one of the takeaways I I took from being a mother is actually people are helpful, you know, when they see you and your stuff falling over, people start picking it up and, you know, being nice to you. And now I find myself and I would never have been clued into this before having a child. I find myself helping. If I see a kid and it's, you know, the, the child's going to run here and the other child's going to run that you, you help now, you know, so actually you feel judged at the time, but you're not, but I wanted to write soldiers humiliation because it is you go from being independent and competent to incompetent and dependent and and um not free so all, all of that had to be there and the buggy and the the car seat the child's car seat and all the harnesses they're another thing that that is um designed to torment people but um yeah the objects in novels are, they carry an electricity, you know, they're very interesting. And I, 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 I'm trying to find the object. I think a key is the object in the next novel. You know, there's, a, there are, there's always a way. It's, it's funny what a novel is and how it works in this code, but it does. I suppose a novel is also a set of small decisions and big decisions. Mm. And I just want to go, I want to ask you about a few of the big decisions. You obviously made a big decision not to do flashback that it would be so easy to say chapter two is going to be how they met, how the pair, I mean, how, you know, the the mother and her and the father, I mean, the husband actually met each other. What that was like, their courtship, where they went, all the things they said, their college life, it, it, and in a way, also the sort of levels of training, what exactly the mother did before she had a baby, mm. where she worked, what she studied. Now, a decision was made by you that all of that was to go, that you were to live in real time. This novel was to occur in the real time of the baby, the motherhood, and almost it was to be enclosed, was to be circled, and nothing else much, from certainly from the past, was to be let in. Yes, uh it it was it, it's not like I wanted it to be claustrophobic, but that was the experience is quite claustrophobic. It's just you and your child, and you can't escape <laughs> into the yeah. past. I mean, I, I wouldn't. I, I wasn't talking about claustrophobia as much as the intensity you get. Well, intensity is a nicer word for it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I knew that I, there had to be one day in the life chapter, and it's chapter two. And it was, it was, it, I, I had to write boredom. If, if I was to write an honest novel, the challenge was to write excruciating boredom and to try and make it not excruciatingly boring to read. So chapter two is just getting through a day with a, I think Sailor is, he's crawling by then. He's about nine months old and the days, I mean, technically it's 20, the day is about, 14 hours, but it, it seems in the narrator's head to go on for, you know, 24 hours and, and she's exhausted. So um, things like that. And I knew this is really bad. You know, you're writing a novel about boredom and then panic and then back to boredom and panic. And it's not novelistic. 
and yet it's it's the experience so you know they're, they're like motherhood there could be no escape from it the only escape was your child grows up so and this is to make motherhood motherhood sound very dark it, it is it's the most rewarding thing there can be but i would like to also acknowledge that it you you veer from certainly in the preschool years from boredom to panic back to boredom to panic so um it yes it it was more about just trying to write how it feels it's a feely novel everything about this novel is just the feelings I was aware all the time, I think, of how little sleep the mother was getting, even though she doesn't go on about it. But I was aware, oh, I don't think she's sleeping. You know, forget the baby, but I don't know. There was a sense of her not remembering things, strung out on things. I realized, oh, my God, she's been awake. You know, she's been awake. It's also that she can't think, you know, it's you don't. It's very hard to think when um when you're when you're with a baby because the of the kind of constant demands it's it's a state of constant interruption it, it how the brain works like I'm not going to give you a lecture on how the brain works there was something on REM sleep um as I was moving around the house today but there is to kind of make yourself into a human being who can rem- remember stuff and have cogent thought processes you need a bit of alone time you know so if you do not have an hour or two alone well certainly this brain if you do not have that time to recalibrate and um just put things in order line them up in your own head then things get frittered and mistakes get made and uh tempers are frayed and it's it's difficult so um i learned a lot about what uh the human my human mind needs you know the, the, these this diary that i showed you i always until until i became a mother kept diaries of my own in which i wrote nothing like i didn't sleep very well you know the stuff that is you put in your own diary and that is self-building if you know what I mean you're, you're kind of laying down in words to yourself who you are and where you're at and wh- how you're getting on and when, when all of that is interrupted um er- it, everything is interrupted and you wonder who you are because <laughs> you're not inventing yourself anymore or you're not you're not setting yourself down therefore you wash away it's very strange you know and that's what i was trying to write the loss of that self i'm just wondering if you're saying here and i think it's in the book that it isn't a simple matter of you know she's not getting enough sleep that that's a very male way of trying to look at the problem as though there's a direct cause for this problem Uh, but i think what you're saying in the book and what you're saying is don't narrow it down to causes that are nameable that this is an actual much more, um, I suppose, amorphous and serious matter because um, it, it's really about the entire body of the mother being taken over after the birth by the by the child in some way that, say, an outsider, I mean, an outsider being someone who has not had the experience, such as me, um, will not get unless you read the novel. A soldier says, I'm sleep deprived and think deprived um, to describe this loss of self. But 
yeah, and I it it baffles me that I had so little like I did no so little um reality before becoming a mother of what this would involve. And things began to seem very patronizing. Like when you're trying to dismiss something, you say, Oh, it's just teething troubles. And then when and it sounds like such a small thing, your child's teething, but when your child is teething, like it is so yeah, you make that particular night a sort of dark night of the soul. I, I and mean, there are it, many dark it, it, nights. No matter of the what soul. you say about it, it isn't teething. It's the most awful business because you just and the phoning of the doctor in the middle of the night and the walking and they're having sort of strange dreams as you walk through the city. Yeah, I, I, I come back to the idea that you're that you moved to this experience out of the language of teething or the language where you can easily bring it just dismiss it or make it ordinary into some heightened experience that is, I suppose, we might call, I suppose, memorable experience for the reader. In other words, as you're pushing the buggy through the night, it moves out of reality into unreality and the reader's with you. And you've created that by establishing that it begins somewhere in the baby's mouth. <laughs> this with perhaps what we call a small thing and moves out of that into something much larger, I suppose, much grander than that. It's so intimate to bring a life, not, I mean, giving birth is intimate, but to be with a little human being as they are formed, it, it's so intimate and strange that the writing had to become intimate and strange to just to evoke the privilege that it is to see I don't know how my son will turn out but I know who he was you know and but nobody else will know who he was like I knew who he was because I was there and I wanted to evoke that intimacy so and you know most people who have had children will have walked during the night when everyone else around them is asleep and it's just you and your child. And it, it was the, like, I remember that, that, that didn't, the stuff didn't happen and yet it did. If you know what I mean, I have walked at night by the sea with, with um, the, the famous buggy and my child in it. And you wander, your mind wanders because a lot of, of being a mother is indoors and heated and um domestic and and um interior so when you escape into the night sky it's very liberating and strange and you're seeing your 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 child develop so yeah the the that the the pros had to the pros dictated how that would turn out you know i i, I don't like to um uh make things over complex but the experiences that i had dictated how this should be it told me if you know what i mean how this book needed to be and, and the novel i suppose is three different love stories it's the love story of the mother to the child it's the love story of the mother and her husband which is a much more complex one obviously and um the love story then that begins in a park and uh it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, there's so many things you could have done. You could have her bonding with another mother. Yes. You could have her, but when she turns up that first day and sees him, 
I think she's at her lowest. I mean, the sense of her, there's a description of her, her hair, of her feeling about herself. And she suddenly comes into the park and sees this guy. Again, we don't get much backstory, but they knew each other. And yeah. there's a lovely word, the word weapon being used about a former girlfriend um, right. that he had in college, which was that weapon he was with, which is, they're lovely. There's so many lovely touches like that. But I suppose I'm, I want to ask you, um, you obviously felt at a certain point something has to happen in this novel other than that the baby yes. will get a bit older, that you need one thing to occur. What's beautiful about it is how restrained it is and how, uh, how much, I suppose, the word is not love as much as easy affection, a sort of gentleness, you know, sort of a, that association becomes rather than dramatic, gentle. And that way of being gentle is itself more dramatic than the easy drama, say, if they had some sort of sexual relations or something like that. It was. Um, yes, I did actually as a novelist realize you need to introduce someone else here. But. The the point that, that this is the friend character, a, a friend enters, an old friend from Soldier's Past, she bumps into him. And yes. Who has, who, he, who has three children. He has three and, kids. And, and, is, he's a, and he's, is fathering in the way that she's mothering. He's way better <laughs> at it. He's way I better. don't know. I mean, there's a fight between the kids and he says, sort it out yourselves. I'm not your solicitor. I, I just oh, I'm so glad my father didn't speak to me like that. <laughs> but but that is how you raise an adult. Whereas um, <laughs> of parenting now is like we are their bodyguards and their solicitors. We organize everything, and we're not raising adults, and it 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 does trouble me. But it, it's the thing I think I most wanted to write there was the thing that I found very confusing about parenthood is is that I when you start a family you almost break up a family because of this I've called it gender segregation the um men head off one way down one tunnel it's like you know when you enter America and it's like U.S. passport holders go this way you know the the, the men go down the U.S. passport holders channel and the the women in this is you know my age group and older go down that everyone else channel and it breaks up a family so um, I wanted to to write about um, what a family is, which is a unit with, you know, well, sorry, a family is whatever the family, the families define themselves. But I, I wanted to write about um, how nice it can be, you know, if there's freedom for both parents to be involved in the kids' lives, as opposed to this way now, which capitalism and patriarchy has defined as you know you're going down that channel and the you know the usually female uh, end of it is going down this one so and the the model where 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 there's both parents are involved is much happier and easier because everyone feels better you know no one's lonely anymore and so, uh, I mean, the other part of writing that that friend character was to go, soldier gets to be herself again. And she can reset and feel human because there's a lifeline to who she used to be. And she doesn't take the lifeline in the end, but she benefits from it. The, um, uh, the second love affair, the marriage, Yes. The, um, 
you know, the deal was made. Um, and I think the reader knows this. Look, I'm going to work because we need money. And I'm going to be the one who's going to be the sort of breadwinner, make the money. And you're going to look after the baby. And that seems a reasonable relationship. And what your novel does is what novels should do, which is take something that seems reasonable in life and show us its texture, move inside its world. And the great thing is, I think, that the father, the husband, is not, it's not as though he comes home drunk. No. <laughs> Although cliches, he doesn't do that. And he isn't out with his friends boozing in some terrible bar. You know, he's just at work and at yeah. work becomes a weapon. He weaponizes work with, and he seems not to even know he's doing this. There's, there's a terrible moment. There's a moment where you have to say, please. And it's, I, this is what happens in novels, you know, where the reader goes, do not say what you're going to say. <laughs> he's in bed saying, I have important work in the morning. Could you get the job? Please don't, don't speak. Just, just, you know, add, so you're, you're totally involved, I suppose, in the politics of the marriage. And I think what you've done is you've made the politics of the marriage subtle enough that you can actually see, no, no, he mightn't say it. There's a moment where he might not do this. It's not as though he's always ready to do his worst, which, you know, happens in bad novels. He's always ready to try and muddle through his own way. It's just not good enough. It's just not like sometimes you just go. Like, so it's a comedy at times. It's a comedy of, it's a comedy of errors in marriage where he thinks he's doing, and oh, the driving episodes, you know, anyone who's ever been with anyone who drives, and we're sitting beside them and he's, a, he's, he's always a guy, I'm sorry to say, I'm letting the side down and he just won't stop with his driving business. And it's a beautiful, beautiful passage where he, he has to start to have a row with an SUV that he doesn't even, like, has done nothing to him. And he wants to, he moves into the other, the side lane to get ahead of it. And you go, oh, please don't do any more of this. Um, it's, it's a, Soldier does work or try to, because um, actually, um, the, certainly the society we're in, there has to be two incomes to uh, keep the show on the road. So she does work, but she is, and this is my experience of a, a lot of mothers, is she's paid less, therefore she she does the, the lion's share of the work. Um, I I was, I was raised in, I, I just had a sister. I was very new to the world of driving men who have steering wheels and, and think this controls the planet. And I, I just find it so comical, you know? So I, I have I have given the husband character all those negative, <laughs> all those many negative traits that I have witnessed. Um, and then like there's other things. I remember I, we, I used to live in this apartment and uh, the, I could hear the, the woman downstairs had two kids very close together in age and um, a bath time every night. She could un one would be in the bath and the other would just scream and scream and scream and scream. But what can you do? You can't bathe them both at the same time. And this would happen every night at the same, this would happen seven o'clock every single night. And in summer you'd hear everyone slamming their windows shut because of the, the screaming babies. And one day I was out walking and I walked past the pub and there's her husband. So, he was sitting outside in the sun, having a pint, waiting till eight o'clock, which is when the kids were gone. And you mean gone to sleep? Yeah, the kids were going to be the bathing started at seven. The screaming went on till eight when they fell asleep. 
by which time this lad would show up. <laughs> You know, and I, I, sh I never said it to her. You know, he's sitting in the pub, looking at his watch, <laughs> waiting till it's safe to come home, going, oh, another long day at the office, darling. You know, so it, it, it was, um, it was one of the strategies that I saw being employed by men to say, look how hard I'm working. This is not all men, but it's some men. It was a really, it was a really wonderful experience reading this book and, and, and thank you very much for writing it. Oh, thank you.